Turn your Bible to Matthew 16, please. Matthew 16. Matthew 16, beginning with verse 13. When Jesus came to the coast of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And they said, Some say that thou art John the Baptist, some Elijah, others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He saith unto them, But whom say ye that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood hath not revealed this unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. And I say unto thee that thou art Peter. The translation of that would be a little pebble. Thou art Peter, Petros. But upon this Petra I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I will give thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall have been bound in, in heaven. Whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Today the subject, the church, a pillar of truth and a lighthouse. I don't know whether Brother Lloyd has the lighthouse available. We could sing at the end of the service maybe. But I want to tell you why I love the church. The church is not just a club where we have exclusive membership. The church is the body of the living Savior, and Jesus is the head of the church. I want to give you 10 reasons why I love the church. First, the church showed an interest in me when I was not interested. Secondly, people of the church visited me and invited me to come. Thirdly, when I came, the people were friendly and loving and kind. Number four, at the church I was taught the Bible. Number five, at the preaching service I heard the word of God telling me that I was a sinner and Jesus was the Savior. Number six, I love the church because when I heard the word, it was not compromised. It told me plainly I am a sinner. Number seven, when I gave my heart to Jesus, the church showed me that I should be baptized. The church instructed me that way. For 2,000 years, every person who has believed on the Lord Jesus Christ has been asked by the Savior to follow the Lord in believer's baptism. Number eight, the church did not baptize me and then leave me alone. It went on to tell me, I need to read the Bible. I need to be at the services. I need to pray. I need to tithe. I need to tell others a story. Number nine, the church gave me the opportunity to grow. Number 10, it was through the church that I heard God's call to preach the word. Those are just a few reasons why I love the church. There's a song that says, I love thy church, O God. 
And I wonder how much we really love the church. The church, again, is not a club. It's not something that is exclusive. Everybody is welcome to come into the house of God. When I speak of the church this morning, I'm not speaking of the brick and mortar and the beauty of it. When I came again to the auditorium last night, I just stopped and thanked God for this beautiful auditorium. But the auditorium is not the church. The church is a body of baptized believers who have banded themselves together to carry out the commission of Christ. And the church will never fail. It will never die. It is the Lord's church. As we think of the church, I want us to think of the meaning of the church. In Matthew chapter 16, the verse we read a little while ago, Jesus said, upon this rock I will build my ecclesia, my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. The word ecclesia means a called out meeting. In the Greek or Roman world, they would have a city meeting to decide certain things and vote on certain things. That was called an ecclesia, a called out assembly. Even here in Bowling Green, from time to time, we have city hall meetings. We're invited to come and give our opinion about certain things. That is, in the Greek language, an ecclesia. But Jesus gave it a new meaning. He said, upon this rock, and he didn't mean Peter. He meant upon the rock of deity. Upon this rock, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. The word ecclesia appears 113 times in the New Testament. 98 of those times, it refers to a local body of baptized believers. The other meaning of the word church is the body of Christ seen from heaven, seen through the eyes of Jesus. Only he knows who are really in God's church. He keeps those records. But the ecclesia that is spoken of so many times in the New Testament is a visible body of baptized believers. Many of you here today are part of that church. Some are not. You can become part of that church through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and openly taking a stand for him, saying, I'm not ashamed of him. I'm not ashamed of Jesus. And so I want to follow him in baptism because he told me to do it. Baptism doesn't save anyone. It never has any efficacy. That water up there won't make you any cleaner than you were before you met Jesus, unless you've let Jesus into your heart. Then the water is simply symbolizing your sins have been washed away. And the blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, cleanseth us from all sin. Here at Glendale, when we baptize, a person who is being baptized comes out, the lights are on, we have the baptismal prayer, go down into the water, and the lights are out. Coming up out of the water, there's a red light that shows you've been washed in the blood of the Lamb. That's what baptism is all about. Now, God planned for his church to be in his heart forever. If you're part of God's church, 
You're part of God's heart. The church was founded in Matthew 16. It was commissioned in Matthew 28, 19, and 20 when Jesus said, go into all the world, make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you. That same commission is copied in the book of Mark. He that is baptized in Mark 16. And then in Luke 24, where Jesus said, ye are witnesses of these things. You are to tell others and witnesses to tell something that's happened to himself. Then in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20, we hear the assignment of the church. Paul said, now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God did beseech you by us, we pray you in Christ's stead, be reconciled to God. An ambassador is one who represents, represents the person of a king at the court of another. He doesn't go out just giving his own ideas. I think this is good and this will work and seems to me through experience, I think this is a fine thing for you to do. An ambassador is one who finds out from the king what are the orders and then goes with straightforwardness, with sincerity, with humility, with earnestness to say, Christ died on the cross to save sinners of whom I am chief. And if you'll come, come with your sins, come with your sorrows, come with your faith, come with your questions, come with your doubts, come with your lack of faith, but whosoever cometh, I will in no wise cast out. And that's what Jesus told the church to do. Now, as we think about the description of the church, if you have your Bible open, turn to 1 Peter chapter 2, 9. You are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Notice, you who are saved, part of God's church, you publicly announced your faith in Christ, you followed your Lord in baptism. God says you are a chosen generation. You did not choose me, but I chose you. We had a song some years ago that said, I choose Jesus. Well, it's good lyrics and good song, but it's not scriptural. We didn't choose him, he chose us. Amen. He knocked on our heart's door, mid sunshine and rain, and patiently waited an entrance to gain. What shame that so long he entreated in vain, but now he is precious to me. Amen. Jesus knocked on the heart's door of everyone in this room who is saved. You may have felt a sense of moral bankruptcy or perhaps your heart pounded a little bit deeper like mine did before I was saved. Or perhaps there was something in the message that you didn't understand, you left and said, I'm not going back. But the Holy Spirit of God drew you with his bands of love. And you came again and again and again until you met the master in a quiet place face to face. And Jesus became your Lord and your savior. We're a chosen generation. We're a royal priesthood. Now, ladies and gentlemen, a priest is somebody who represents men to God and God to men. 
Now notice in Baptist churches, we don't call our minister a priest. Be nothing wrong with that, as long as we understood that everybody else is a priest too. Everyone who has been saved is a priest unto God. Now hath he made you kings and priests unto God. That means that you and I, as believers in Christ, part of God's church, we represent the people of the world before God. That's intercession. And we represent God's message to the people. That's the declaration of the gospel. Every one of us is to be involved in that. There is no one who is excused from this, quote, embarrassing responsibility, end quote. Some people say, well, some can win the lost. Some can go be a witness, but I don't have time. That's not my part of the work. I'll do something else. The Bible tells us that every believer is an ambassador. Every believer is part of the royal priesthood of God. Therefore, we must represent God to the people and then bring the people to God. Then he says we're a holy nation. The word holy does not mean sinless. So many times we get that idea, and, and it's a good idea, because the song says, holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, and he certainly is sinless. But basically the term holy means set apart for God. And so God's church is set aside for him. The purpose of the church is not to hear the latest news reports or to understand the greatest political battles. It is wise for us to be aware of what's going on in Korea and in Iraq and in Jerusalem and in Indonesia and in the Philippines, all these trouble spots. Ladies and gentlemen, our task is to give God's answer to those things. Jesus is the Prince of Peace, and when we give Christ the glory and honor, he saves them. Yesterday I had a meeting with one of our young men who has committed his life to be a tent maker. Now a tent maker in spiritual understanding means to be like the Apostle Paul. Paul went from place to place. He got with Aquila and Priscilla who were tent makers also, and that's how he earned his living. Eventually, the churches began to take care of him financially, but he always was a tent maker. The young man I talked to yesterday said, I feel called by God to go to a Muslim country and be a tent maker as an ambassador. He'll go doing a secular job, but his main business is to represent God to those people. Oh, how wonderful, how wonderful, how dangerous. We're living in danger times right now. We do not know what will happen next, but we are a holy nation. We are a peculiar people. I don't mean that, I don't think that means that we go around purposely trying to act peculiar. What it means is that the world will think you're peculiar. Do you know most of the world didn't go to church today? On your way to church, you passed homes where people were sleeping. Maybe they were getting ready to go out fishing, or they're going to the mall, or they're going here or there. That's what the world does. But you and I, who have been saved by the grace of God, understand from the scripture 
that we're a peculiar people. We look different, we talk different, we walk different, we dress different. We're a peculiar people under the Lord. <coughs> Don't ever be ashamed of that. Thank God He's called you to be different, different. The world shacks up. God said, marriage is honorable in all things and the bed is undefiled. The world has no problem with premarital sex or gulping down your whiskey and beer or gambling or earning your living in ways that are not scriptural, not spiritual. But I want to tell you, God tells us, those who are saved, those in this room who are saved, you're a peculiar person. The world will think you're a little bit different. They won't understand you. Can you take that? One of the great problems among young people is peer pressure. They like to be like everybody else. And when somebody else wears a certain style of clothes, that's what they want. When they wear a certain, uh, certain kind of uh, style tennis shoes, that's what they want. They want to be like the world. Years ago, all the ladies wore hats. I don't see a hat in the house today. But if somebody, there is somebody, someone just pointed someone with a hat on. That's good. All right, that's good. Now, there's nothing wrong with not wearing a hat or wearing a hat. But we do not just chase styles. Before I was saved, the women all wore great big white hats. I think all of them were white. And the church was not air conditioned. And you could see them fanning with their little bulletin and so on. And I sat behind some of those white-headed ladies. And when the preacher would preach and point to, I thought to my heart, I'd duck behind one of those hats thinking I could hide from God. Nobody can hide from God. God is here now. He wants to touch your life. He wants you to come to Him and trust Him as your Savior. We are a peculiar people. And the reason is that we should show forth the praises of Him who hath called us out of darkness into His marvelous light. In Ephesians 5.20, the church is the bride of Christ, the body of Christ. It is a spiritual house, and Jesus Christ is the chief cornerstone. Now, how do you enter the church? Well, you say, I just walk down the street and go in the door, and I'm in. You're in the building. That's how you get into the building. When you go home today, you're going to do the same thing to get into your house. That's not how you get in church. The church is seen by Jesus. Again, it is a body of baptized believers who have banded themselves together to carry out the commissions of Christ. Jesus said in John chapter 3, you must be born again. And Nicodemus said, how can this be? Do I have to become a little baby and be born all over from my mother's womb? And Jesus said, except a man be born of the water, that's the fleshly birth, and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. 
And so for us to be saved means to come to a point in our lives where we know we've lo we're lost. We're a sinner. We deserve hell. But we know that Jesus died on an old rugged cross for our sins. And we come to him, invite him to come into our heart, repent of our sins, ask Jesus to be our Savior, and then by faith trust him. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. Some people base their salvation on a feeling. They got all upset, emotional, cried, shouted a little bit, and then the rest of their lives live any way they want to. That's not salvation. When Jesus comes in, he changes you, your want to on the inside. Now the outside has a tough time. Our old body craves a lot of things. A man that has been an alcoholic, some people can get rid of that immediately. Brother Mickey was telling us about getting rid of cigarettes this morning in the Sunday school lesson. Some people can do that quickly. Other people, it takes a long time. There was a man in our church I loved very much, but he was a drunkard. Over and over again, I talked to him. He assured me he was saved. We prayed together for God's help in overcoming this. And in the latter years of his life, he was an overcomer. He didn't drink anymore. And he told me one day, God changed that want to in my heart, but my body was so weak. And I had craved that stuff so much that I let it become a bondage to me. I want to tell you, when Jesus comes in, he will change the want to in your heart. And you'll want to live for him. You'll want to serve him. You'll want to go to church. You'll want to be a witness. You'll want to live a godly life. You'll want to be holy. You want to serve the Lord. You'll make friends of God's children because Jesus has come into your heart. Last of all, think about the vision of the church. What is the church's business? Jesus said, I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Whatsoever thou shalt uh, not loose shall not be loosed. Now, what he is saying is the key to heaven is the message. God has given the church the message. That's the reason week after week after week we sing the songs we sing. They have messages in them. Did you hear about the church? Spot or wrinkle a while ago? Did you hear that medley a little while ago? Oh, how beautiful when you think of what Jesus has done in our hearts. Now, the vision of the church is to reach to the uttermost parts of the world with the message of God. There are five billions of people in the world today. Three-fourths of the world don't know Jesus at all. Some of them right in Bowling Green. Some of them in the state of Kentucky. Some to the uttermost parts of the earth. So every one of us is to be a missionary to those people. We need a vision of hell. I want to tell you folks, hell is an awful place. Terrible. If there's anyone in this room on your way to hell today, I want to warn you. Don't go a moment longer. You do not know what kind of, of opportunity you may have again. 
you may never hear another gospel message. You may go out of here today, have an accident, become brain dead. And no matter how many people pray over you in that situation, you can't be changed. He that heareth the word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life. There's a way that seemeth right unto men, and the end thereof is the way of death. A vision of the terribleness of hell. That's what God's church needs. I heard about a preacher who announced that he was going to, he put it in the paper, on the next Sunday night, he was going to tell all of his deacons to go to hell. That stirred up a lot of enthusiasm, a lot of people, got a lot of phone calls. That Sunday night at church, he asked all of his deacons to stand. He said, men, if you would go to hell for five minutes and come back, this church would be changed. You'd be running out the lanes and streets of the city urging people, don't go to hell, don't go to hell. And if you're here this morning and you're on your way there, I urge you to stop in your tracks and invite Christ to be your personal Savior and Lord. Then we need a vision of heaven. Heaven is a wonderful place filled with glory and grace. We heard about the pearly white city a little while ago. Heaven is so marvelous, so beautiful. Pardon this personal word. Dean, I know, I know Helen is very happy to see all of you in church. She's over in the glory. Helen was in our service just a few weeks ago and then suddenly touched with some kind of unknown illness. And in the night, fell in her home and died. It kept her on life support for a few days and Dean and his family wisely said, let's lose her, we know where she's going. And over there in the glory, think of the one over there, think of the home over there. Someday the silver cord will break and I no more as now shall sing, but oh, the joy when I shall wake within the palace of my king. And I shall tell the story saved by grace. Then we need a vision of how God can help the hurting people. There are people with hurts. They're depressed. They're discouraged. Life hasn't been very good to them. Maybe there's illness. Maybe there are physical frailties. Maybe they're just hurt because somebody has misunderstood them. The church must have a vision of the hurting people and go to those people and invite them to come. The Lord's church ought to be the friendliest and the most loving spot on earth on Sunday. When you come, you need to feel the support of others. You come with your hurts. You come with your doubts. You come with your questions. Come with your sorrow. And you'll be surrounded by people who will accept that sorrow as theirs. They'll enter into your grief. That's what the Lord's church is. Now, what kind of a church do you want your church to be? The church without spot or wrinkle is a church that learns how to sacrifice. Everything isn't going to always be rosy. Must I be carried to the skies on flowery beds of ease while others fought to win the prize and sail through bloody seas? 
there are going to be blood, sweat, and tears. During the awful days of World War II, when Germany was blitzing England, it wasn't even safe to walk down the street in London. Winston Churchill went out to the front battlefield where the men were, and he said, there will be blood, there will be sweat, there will be tears, but there will be victory. And so it came. So it is in our lives. If we're willing to say, Lord, have your way, have your way with me. I give myself to you. Jesus will take you in sincerity as you yield to him. Jesus is tenderly calling thee home, calling today. And if you'll come, he'll cleanse you and forgive you. Remember that the church is the pillar and ground of truth. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Pilate said to him, what is truth? Standing right in the presence of truth, Pilate didn't have a clue of what it was. I want to tell you this morning, Jesus is the truth. He'll enable you. He'll strengthen you. He'll forgive you. He'll save you. He'll write your name in heaven. And he will invite you into his ecclesia in the earth, his church, where you can be a somebody for God. The church of the Lord Jesus Christ is a called out assembly of believers who have been baptized and banded themselves together to carry out the commission of Christ. Wouldn't you like to be part of that church? Let's bow together in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for the word of God. Thank you for helping us deliver this message this morning. Oh God, we pray that some will be moved to do the will of God in their lives. Some who have come on their way to hell would turn around and say, I want Jesus as my Savior. Some who have been saved but not baptized would come and say, I want to do what Jesus told me to do. I want to follow my Lord in baptism. There may be somebody here today that God has dealt with about his life's decision, what you're going to do with your life. Dear God, help somebody, even today, to say, I've decided to follow Jesus. I won't turn back. Pray in his name, amen.